I know what a lot of you are thinking, and it's possible that many of you do not know that in ancient rabbinical times, rabbis used to traditionally wear purple bandanas. <laughs> Especially if their dreads were in such a bad state as mine are. I don't have the ability to show Albert's hat here as gracefully, so I'll keep mine covered so that you can focus on the message. And just a reminder that as the lead of the youth, we really are looking for creative, fun, funky youth names. Regen Youth is pretty cool, and at the moment, the best we have is Regen are awesome. Um, <laughs> and then one way we changed all the letters that could be numbers into numbers, so it's like R36G3N8. T3. But we figured no one would remember that or be able to say it. So we really need your help. There's pieces of paper at the back as the Holy Spirit prompts or as you find creative names in the begatting section in the Bible if you wander off during the preach. That would be great. And I really like that Conso started with talking about the perfect of our faith. It's a lovely segue in today's message where I'm, last time I spoke here, I spoke on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which talks about throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Set your eyes on Jesus, who is the perfecter of our faith. And we're just going to kind of take that a step further. And I know that, that that was a powerful service for many of you. A lot of people wrote stuff down. We corporately kind of spoke about the sin and the hindrances and the struggles and some of the baggage that people were carrying in this church. And we kind of heard it together as a sense of this is the junk that our body, that our family is dealing with. And there were many of you that stood up and invited people to pray for them. And it happened in the evening service as well. And it really felt like a powerful time. And I really trust that for many of you, it was a time of kind of just dealing with that stuff. Or for many of you, maybe just a time of starting a journey, of starting to work through stuff. For some of you, it was the first time you were able to kind of name the things that are hindering you and holding you back. And it was really kind of a breaking experience, just reading kind of some of the hidden stuff that is behind these faces, these faces of perfection that we see on a Sunday when, when everyone comes to church and tries to look good and, and tries to look like we've got it all together. And, and we just have no idea what is kind of lurking beneath, what God is working on, what brokenness exists. And so it's always exciting when we get a chance to deal with that stuff. And just to say that like, we, we have special services where we create spaces for that, but every single time that we gather and meet, there's opportunities to invite Albert, if he's around, or me, or the staff, or leaders, or just anyone here that you trust, to invite them after a service. Hey, have you got a few minutes to pray for me? Conso knows people that are available at 2 o'clock in the morning, and she'll gladly give you their phone number. But that is what we do as the body. Don't wait for these specific opportunities. Use the opportunities and the resources of the people around us. And small groups are an excellent way to connect with a body in a kind of more intimate and more direct way. And have people that you meet with on a weekly or, or second weekly basis of just being able to invite people to pray into your life. So today we're going to kind of take that same process, but take it a step further, kind of hone it down a little bit. And... We're going to more specifically look at the aspect of forgiveness, and maybe more importantly, unforgiveness, and how that applies to our lives. And so for some of you sitting there, me just saying the word forgiveness, me just throwing out the phrase, is there somebody in your life that you need to forgive? Is there some hurt in your life that has prompted unforgiveness? I cannot forgive that person for that thing they did. And... Are you ready today to have God break into those areas? We're going to create another space. Nothing significant about this space and time. 
that is any different from any other space and time, except it's going to be put before you, kind of in your faces today. And really grateful Zach put together this beautiful cross just as a symbol and a reminder. And Conso spoke so eloquently about everything the cross symbolizes, the love of God, the fact that he has given so much for us. And so that's really the starting point from where we dive off into this area of unforgiveness. So let's just invite the Holy Spirit to really do his thing. And I encourage you, where you're sitting, if you've got an area of unforgiveness in your life, to just say, come Holy Spirit, have your way. If it seems impossible, if it seems unlikely, if it seems like I will never be able to do that thing, that is where the Holy Spirit works really well. And so as we sit together as family once again, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and have your way with us. Let it not be through any clever words, through any great stories, through anything that comes from the front, but let it be by your prodding, by your urging, by your calling, by your reminding us that there is a God that loves us so profoundly and wants us to be healed and restored and to walk freely. You, Jesus, are the perfecter of our faith. You are the one who is making it perfect. No, we haven't arrived, but you are the one that every day brings us a step closer. And we invite you to come and work in an area that for some people is really huge and really paralyzing. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to look at my heart, to remind me of any things that might be from years before, from any conversations, online interactions that might have happened this last week where maybe I need to go and ask for forgiveness and especially those where I need to extend it. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And today's talk feels incredibly simple to me, because I feel that this stuff is absolutely straightforward, and I don't want you to get confused in thinking that I'm saying that it's easy. It's a simple concept, it's a simple teaching, and I really believe it's straightforward, but it's possibly one of the hardest things to deal with, one of the hardest things to put into practice, and that's why we kind of invite God, because He gives us the strength to do things that seem impossible to us. But there's this passage in Matthew 6 where Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, and so we all know the Lord's Prayer well. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that comes as an invitation from the disciples. Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus launches into this prayer that in many churches is something they pray every week. In our school growing up, we prayed it every day. And the prayer that shows us all how to pray and just encompasses so many different things. And Jesus finishes, and it's almost like there's this little PS in verse 14. Like I kind of like, oh, and by the way, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And it almost, in a sense, it seems like completely unrelated to the prayer. It's like this little PS, oh, by the way, if you don't forgive people, you're not going to be forgiven. And it's like, Jesus, we just wanted you to teach us to pray. Can you keep that message for the next convicting time? But as you look through the prayers, you're praying for God's kingdom to come. 
As you're praying for good harmony between us and other people, it makes absolute sense that it's the following thing. For any of this stuff to take place, for right relationship with God, for you to be in a space where you can pray this prayer to God, you need to make sure that you've forgiven other people. And as I said, it seems absolutely straightforward. We're not talking about something like women in ministry or even something like homosexuality or those things that each side kind of has an opinion and we've all got our verses lined up and, and we're ready to go into battle on it and, and fight to the death for our cause and, and many other things. Baptism, just a little bit, whole body. All these things that we can kind of find verses. Like this is pretty straightforward stuff. It's like a mathematical equation. If this thing is there, then this thing is there. If you forgive people, you're forgiven. If this thing is absent, then God's forgiveness is absent. There's not a lot of interpretation needed. There's not a lot of, well, maybe he meant you are forgiven if you don't forgive people. <laughs> maybe when we translated the Greek into the Hebrew, into the English, we kind of got it all mixed up or something. It's really straightforward. And it's completely not easy. And just take a moment to let that sink in, especially if you came here this morning with unforgiveness in your heart. Take the fact of the gospel message that says, if you do not forgive people, my Father in heaven cannot forgive you. Think of the ramifications for your own life, if that has been something you've been holding on to. And so in the bigger picture of God and heaven and salvation and eternal life, forgiveness, being forgiven, seems like a pretty important piece. It's, it's something that Jesus spoke a lot about. It's something that the whole Bible kind of works towards the early story of paradise broken by sin and by mess and the world thrown into confusion and the story of God kind of wooing, calling his people back, creating ways that kind of look forward to the time when he's going to send his son, Jesus, to die on the cross and at personal expense to God make a way for forgiveness to happen. Forgiveness is what the story is all about. Right standing with God, restored relationship this is a pretty important thing. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven by God. And there's no exceptions. There's no kind of little, if the person never asks for forgiveness, then it's okay. Or if the thing that was done to you was really, really bad, like if it fit into this category, then you're excused. It's pretty all-encompassing. How important is this stuff to Jesus? Matthew 5, verse 23 and 24 is one of the most interesting kind of passages snuck into one of Jesus' sermons. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. And so we're talking about offering a gift at the altar. We're talking about a form of worship. So if you are in the middle of worshiping God... And something brings to mind the fact that you've got broken relationship with someone else. Stop worshiping God. Stop bringing your gift at the altar. Interrupt worship to go and reconcile. Why? Because if you do not forgive your brother, God cannot forgive you. And if there's broken relationship with God, then worshiping doesn't make a lot of sense. And so this thing seems to be really important to Jesus. It's so important that you can interrupt your worship. Go put it right. Don't hold on to this thing. I want to be in great relationship to you. In Luke chapter 23, there's another evidence of how important this stuff is to Jesus. Verse 32 to 34, Jesus is being crucified. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. 
When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. This is Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. I think Jesus says something like seven statements from the cross. And one of those statements, one of his famous last words, like the important thing that somebody says at the point of their life ending is, Father, forgive them. Dying the most torturous, painful death. Crucifixion, which was designed specifically to hurt people, to be painful, to be torturous. Designed for Romans' enemies. And Jesus is in that space. And the thing that he's thinking of is, God, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And so it's something that Jesus spoke about. It's something that he demonstrated at his most vulnerable point of time, at his most painful time. It's like, this is an important thing that I've got to get out. I need to let people know that this message is important. I need to demonstrate that if I can do it in this fashion, perhaps it's going to be a little bit easier for you to do it when you're not hanging on a cross, when you are in your day-to-day life, when you've got other opportunities to actually go and forgive people face to face. And so Jesus demonstrates this principle and how important. This was a big deal to Jesus. This was a key thing in his life and ministry. And then the main story I want to focus on, which you can turn to, is in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 35. And it's titled, The Parable of the Unmerciful Servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some Bible versions have 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And maybe take a moment to hear how ridiculous it is. Thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Really hard to pay a debt when you're in prison. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Probably even harder to be paying back what you owe while you're being tortured by the jailers. And so we've got the story where there's a sense of Peter trying to look good in the face of Jesus. So he goes to Jesus and he tries to look a bit smart and he's like, Jesus, how many times should we forgive people? Up to seven, which is way more than kind of the forgiveness quotient of the day. And Jesus kind of looks at him and just once again tips 
or just proves that the kingdom of God is this upside-down thing, and he just kind of elevates it, not seven times, but 77 times, or 77 times seven. I don't know how you get those two mistaken, but basically it's a lot of times. And this is not a mathematical equation. It's not Jesus saying to Peter, like when your brother hits you, like forgive him, forgive him, forgive him, keep count, 76, 77. The next time he does it, just smack him in the head. Like, I mean, as a kid, those were the kind of things we'd think about. It would be like, cool, just keep a log and the revenge is going to be so much sweeter on that 78th time. But basically, Jesus is talking about a principle. He's talking about a way of living. He's talking about kingdom economics. In kingdom economics, forgiveness is this ridiculous amount that you should never reach. And even if you did manage to reach it, just start again at zero. Like kingdom forgiveness is you forgive and you forgive and you forgive and you don't stop forgiving. And after a while, it starts to look ridiculously insane and you just keep on forgiving. And again, Jesus demonstrates this hanging on the cross, like the thing that would be the hardest thing to forgive, and yet Jesus does it. And this whole story, it really comes from the place of, look how much you've been forgiven. And the story he tells is so ridiculous. Like, we could understand it if it was, this guy owed a thousand bucks, and then he goes out and he finds someone that owes him 800 bucks. Like, similar things, okay, he was forgiven, but... I still owed him a lot of money, but you've got this huge amount that is unpayable. There is no way, and the person begging before the king is being ridiculous. Like, just let me pay it back. Like, there was no way that he could pay the amount in the story. It was just this ridiculous attempt for mercy and for justice or hoping for something, not justice. Like, he wanted mercy. He wanted to get out of something that was impossible. And the master doesn't just give him his wish. The master completely cancels the debt. It's a picture of God and His lavish love and like how He just ridiculously loves us more than we deserve. And then this guy goes out and he finds somebody who owes him a ridiculously small amount. And he responds in such an unjust, unmerciful, unloving, ridiculous way. Even if he hadn't been forgiven this huge debt, the way that he responds to this guy is just completely unloving. Like he throws him into jail for a small amount and makes it impossible for him to pay back. So a life sentence because he owed him 10 bucks. But on top of that, you add all the layers of remember what just happened. Do you remember what you have just been forgiven? Yourself and your family have had your debt canceled. This was going to affect you. This was going to affect future generations. Like your family would have been paying this off forever. That was all forgiven. How can you possibly not show forgiveness to somebody that owes you something relatively minor in relation? And so that is what God calls us to in terms of our forgiveness. Remember how much you've been forgiven. Remember what I went through. Remember the personal cost that I paid when it came to forgiving you. And it's been said, holding on to unforgiveness is like drinking a cup of poison and hoping that the other person dies. And yet that's what we do. Oftentimes, I mean, there are times when somebody's said something about you, and maybe you overheard it, and they don't even know that you overheard it. And so you are feeling unforgiveness and hatred and bitterness to them. Often they don't even know that they've hurt you. 
And so they are going happily on their way. You are drinking the poison of bitterness and anger, and they are not suffering at all. And you watch them, and you're like, this is going to get them back. They're going to feel so bad, and yet the anger builds, and the hatred builds, and jealousy, and envy, and all those kind of things. That is what unforgiveness does. It causes much more damage to us than the person, even if they do know they've hurt us. Because it causes us to look for revenge. It causes us to have broken relationship with them. It causes us to have intense anger every time we see them, to replay the incident every time we hear their name, to gossip about them to other people. And it affects us, and it affects us, and it affects us, and they go along with their business and often don't even know. Unforgiveness is like drinking a cup of poison and hoping that the other person dies. And even if they do know, they often don't know the extent of what they've done. So I want to close off with a couple of things, and then we're going to have an opportunity to invite you to forgive if you need to forgive. It's important to understand some things about forgiveness. The first one is that forgiving somebody does not mean that what they did was okay. And it doesn't mean that it somehow doesn't matter. And I think we feel that. Like, if I forgive this person, like, look at what they did. This thing they did was such a terrible thing. And it's almost as if we think, like, me forgiving them means it wasn't so bad. Forgiving a person is an acknowledgement that what they did was so bad, but that I'm refusing to hold it against them, that I'm letting them off the hook, that I'm extending mercy, that I'm giving them this new status. And so it starts with us acknowledging that we have been hurt, but we refuse to let their sin and brokenness affect us anymore and kind of continue to have that poisonous effect that I mentioned. A friend of mine, Rob, back home has this beautiful picture of it, like, when somebody hurts you and you hold on to unforgiveness, it's this idea of having two fishing hooks with some fishing guts. And the one hook is in the other person and the one hook is in yourself. And so you're connected and kind of the connection, the unforgiveness, keeps on ripping into you and keeps on having an effect on them and especially with your relationship with them. It's affecting both of you. Romans 12, verse 17 to 19 do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And then verse 20 might be one of my favorite verses as a kid, but one of the most frustrating as well, and still is, I think, where he says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And I was always like, God, I can save you time. Let me just heap the burning coals on his head directly. Let's save the metaphor. And God didn't ever let me have permission for that. It's a metaphoric burning of coals. And I'm like, oh, God, they could really use a real one. But that is, again, this upside-downness of the kingdom. Like, give the opposite. Don't just not hold something against him. But bless them. Do good to those who persecute you, it says somewhere else. If, you, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. That's the last thing they're going to expect. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And if they know they've hurt you and if they know they're your enemy, that will just make them all the more angry and all the more irritated. And then verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that is such a powerful principle of the kingdom. And it's a memory verse I learned early on that's really easy because it's 1221. So it's just 1221. Two, two, one. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. As we treat people in the way they don't deserve, as we extend God's mercy, as we teach people grace through our behaviors, that is the thing that is likely to change them around. Nobody was ever changed around by us taking revenge on them, by us paying them back for what they did. But as we pay back people in a way they don't expect, and we just bless them and honor them and lift them up and show God's love, often that disarms people. Not every time. Like, it would be great if this worked every time, if this could be a formula to get people to just forgive us and have good relations, but something that does break into people. And so if you think of that analogy with the hooks, forgiving somebody is like taking that hook out of yourself and handing it over to God, because it's not letting the person off the hook. They still have the hook in them, and they've still got business with God, and God says, I will avenge, I will deal with this thing, but you need to stop letting it hurt you. You need to stop letting that hook kind of twist and turn and devour you. And so let me take care of that. Just unhook it. Give it to me. Let me deal with this. I will deal with it. God doesn't say people will just get off. The second thing, forgiveness, very much like love and patience, is not a feeling. I don't know about you, but I don't often feel like forgiving somebody unless I know it's for the greater good. It's going to make me a greater person. It's what Jesus wants. The act of forgiveness itself is not usually something that excites me. It's something that I have to choose. It's something that I have to know that this is a really good thing and it needs to happen. And the bigger the offense, the more often you have to make that choice. And so if you dent my car, firstly, I'm grateful because I have a car, Um, but (laughs) I can forgive you and maybe the next time I see you, I might need to choose to forgive you again and maybe a week later, I might have to let that go. But a year from now, like that thing is not even going to be on my radar. And maybe a week from now. And so certain things, I forgive you, it's done with. But if you are a drunk driver and you kill my sister, which almost happened once. My sister was put into hospital with traction because a dude ran a light. And it was like half a second away from killing her. Like, that is something that I would probably have to choose to forgive you every hour, every minute for the first couple of weeks. And maybe... There's a time when God is working that in my heart and it becomes like every day and maybe after a while it can become every week or every month. But that choice is going to have to be brought up again. Like if somebody has sexually abused you, that is going to be a choice that you have to make constantly, day in, day out, maybe for the rest of your life. But with the grace of God, like God can take those things and make those gaps a little bit bigger. But the bigger the offense, the more often I have to choose to do forgiveness. It's not a once-off thing and then it's done. It's the fact that when I see that person again and their face comes to me and their offense is brought up, I need to choose not to dwell on that. I need to choose not to respond in anger or revenge or anything. And God is the one that helps those choices get better. But it's an ongoing journey. And then the third one, which some people might disagree, but I don't think forgiveness means forgetting. And we have this idea that God forgives you, he forgets your sin, and you clear with God. For me, that picture is less exciting than a God that is mentally aware that I've sinned and still chooses not to hold it against me, chooses to treat me as if I've never sinned. And so I don't think God has the spiritual amnesia that he couldn't sit down and write down every sin that I'd ever committed if there was some way to have a test like that. I think he's aware of everything I've done. But forgiveness means that when he looks at me, he sees Jesus and he sees what Jesus did on the cross. And it's as if none of that stuff ever happened. And so in the same way that we treat people around us, you may never forget mentally 
remindedly the things that people have done. That's not necessarily, like I think a lot of people feel condemnation because they still remember that thing. But do you choose not to hold it against them? Are you treating them as if that thing never happened? Because that's what we need. And I know I'm running out of time, so I'll quickly finish off with these two quick points. The fourth one is this, that you can know this. If you hold unforgiveness to one person for an incident done 20 years ago, whatever it is, that is going to affect every single relationship in your life. It's going to affect your relationship with God, but it's going to affect your relationship with people because you put up walls to protect yourself from being hurt, and those walls keep out other people's love and keep other people from getting close and and forming intimate bonds with you. And so unforgiveness with one person affects all our relationships. And then lastly, I really think this is an important thing to say, that this isn't meant to be a place of fear. Like, what if I die one day and I forgot to forgive that one person? Like, Brett got up and he said, if I didn't forgive that person, then I'm going to burn in hell. I don't think this is a place of fear. I think what Jesus is talking about is when we intentionally choose not to forgive people. Like if you are unforgiving people, not there were some incidents and you forgot about it and so it wasn't dealt with and so sorry you don't make it. Like this isn't that. This is if you are harboring unforgiveness in your heart. If, if there is an offense that has happened that you're aware of and you are saying, I cannot forgive that person, then you are saying to God, I'm choosing to not accept your forgiveness. And so I'm going to ask Jean to come up and she's going to lead us in some worship as we close off the service and... I know time is really short, but we'll do everything together. So we'll have a time of communion, which reminds us what Jesus did. So in your own time, as you come and get the bread and the wine or the symbols of those, just remember that Jesus died for us to make this whole forgiveness thing possible. And then the other thing I want to invite you to is we've got a cross and we've got some paper and some various forms of things that will hopefully stick to the cross The idea is just to invite you that if you have a person in your life who you've not been able to forgive, if there was something someone said to you or about you that you're still holding on to, or if there was something done to you at some stage in your life, no matter how big or small, and it is being brought up by the Holy Spirit, you're being reminded of that. If you've got unforgiveness in some aspect, to come to the front as a commitment that you're going to lay that before God. And I want to invite you to stick it to the cross if you are committed to seeking or giving forgiveness to that person. And then if you're sitting here today and there's an unforgiveness thing and you know that it's there, but you feel, I can't forgive that person, you're still in that state, then I want to encourage you to still come and write that thing down and to lay it at the foot of the cross. So not stick it on the cross, but lay it at the cross as an invitation for God to change your heart and get you to a place where you can move to that next step of actually forgiving. Like say, God, I really just don't believe I can forgive that person but I want to invite you to come and make that change. So while we finish off the service, while we join in worship, come and have an act of communion. And if there's anything that is holding you back from good relationship with God in terms of forgiveness, use this as a symbol of how you're going to live your life from now. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to really work in us. And I know time is short here, but even as we leave this place, as we live through this week, as you bring us to a place where we can really seek forgiveness, where we can go to people where necessary and put things right, but where we can really lay these things down before you. And I pray especially for anyone here who is at that point of feeling like this is impossible. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts to make it possible, to take us to a place where we can just truly lay this before you. We thank you for your love. We thank you that this is what you came to talk to us about. This is what you demonstrated. And we just invite it in the name of Jesus. 
Amen.